May all the nations praise you. May those leaders who are turned against you be turned. Father, we pray too for ourselves. You have entrusted to us the message that Jesus is King, that you have made him Lord of the nations, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And Father, we pray that we might live that out in our lives and speak about that with our voices. May we declare that Jesus is Lord, and may we call the nations to worship him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Please will you turn to page 737, which is Isaiah chapter 55. Page 737, Isaiah 55. There is a principle that goes something like this. It is often the moments of greatest darkness for us that prove to be the moments where God breaks in most clearly and most most powerfully into our lives. It is quite often not the times when things are going well, whether we're feeling blessed spiritually or whether it's that we're materially blessed or blessed in other areas of our circumstances. It's those moments when we feel most at risk and most at despair, where those things that we have placed into our lives that give the greatest support to us and the greatest sense of security and purpose, it is often not until those things are taken away that we find ourselves open to what God wants to do in our lives. And those moments, those moments of greatest darkness come for us, become for us the moments of greatest blessing where God works most powerfully in us. It's a principle, as I say, that you see over and over again in the Scriptures. And behind that is almost always this fact. that we spend such a lot of time building up our life the way we want it to be, investing ourselves in so many things that will make our life meaningful, purposeful, secure, happy. That we have so much invested in our lives in the way that we have tried to create them that we are not open to the fact that, to the, the possibility that they may be misplaced. That instead of being built on a secure foundation or heading in a good direction, actually they are profoundly insecure and they're heading to disaster. And so we close ourselves up to the truth. We don't hear the truth and we don't want to because we have invested so much of ourselves into our lives. And therefore, it's often not until those props are taken away 
those moments of greatest darkness, that we become open to what God is really saying to us and to the truth about our condition, of where our life is heading, about its real security. There's a wonderful example of that in the passage that we're looking at this morning, which is Isaiah 55. It's the people of Israel, it's the people of Judah, it's the people of the southern kingdom. And here we find these people undergoing the most extraordinary darkness. I want you to imagine the situation. I want you to imagine that you're standing on a roadside and you're watching streams of people walking past you. Their eyes are cast down. They don't look you in the face. There are tears. There's despair. There is hopelessness. There are women who've lost their husbands, mothers who've lost their children, children whose parents have been killed. And as you look into the distance, you see from where they're streaming, the smoke rises of the city that was their home that has been destroyed. Here they are, thousands upon thousands of people streaming past you. They have lost everything They've lost their national identity. They've lost their possessions. They've lost their resources. They have lost hope. They are now entirely at the mercy of other powers and circumstances that are beyond their control. And as you watch them walk past in their hopelessness, you have nothing to say. You can't offer them hope. You can't offer anything that will change their situation. But then a voice calls out. It's a voice of hope. A voice that calls for the attention of these despairing people. It's a voice of hope that says, Come, come. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1. This is the voice of hope that declares to hopeless people that there is hope. To people who are suffering the consequences of their own actions because the reason that they are fleeing is because of the decisions that they have made over the years. They are reaping the benefits, irony, the benefits, the consequences of their decisions. Year after year, generation after generation, they have invested their lives and the lives of their nation and their leaders have done the same and encouraged people to invest their lives in a, in a life that would lead to this. And here's the voice of hope. Come, come. And notice it's not just the voice that calls attention to give them information. It is a call to experience. Have a look at what God says through Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and cost. 
This is the call to experience. It's not just about information. And it's the offer of restoration. Restoration. What's that got to do with us? That's a very long time ago, and most of you don't look like ancient Israelites. Even if you have reached pensionable age. <laughs> What's it got to do with us? Here's something we need to understand really, really clearly. Israel is just like us. The historical situations are different, entirely different. We don't live in that era. We're not in some small part of the Middle East. But spiritually, it is exactly the same. And the spiritual principles that have undone them nationally are exactly the same spiritual principles that undo us. And we are susceptible to. And therefore, as we read this, this is about us. And we need to take it seriously. And we need to take this amazing offer that God makes, which is of restoration. Come! All you people who are streaming past, who've lost hope, who've lost everything, you have nothing. Here's the call to experience restoration. It's the call to hope. And it's the call to us. This is God's word to us. So what is the restoration that God is offering here? Well, it's the restoration of life. Verse 3. Come, he says, that you may live. That you may live. Not a half life. Not a quarter life. Not a life that's supplied with meager rations, but a life that's supplied with all that will sustain so that you may flourish. Do you notice that? Verse 2, that you may eat of the richest of fare. That's what God is promising them. Life. And there's an enormous contrast. It's a contrast with the way that they have been living. Verse 2, spending themselves for what does not satisfy. Do you know that you can devote the whole of your life to building a life that leads you to destruction, of wasting your time, of wasting your efforts? Do you know you can do that? Because that's what they were doing. Spending their money on what doesn't satisfy. Spending all of their life building this life that leads to destruction. It's possible to do that. Here's the contrast. Not the life that leads to destruction, but the life of life itself in all its fullness. There's another contrast, isn't there? Have you noticed the economics in this? Isn't it really interesting? Have a look. Come and buy. What do you use to buy? You need the means of exchange. Usually it's money. You buy with something. That's how it works. What does God say here? Come and buy the richest affair without anything. You buy it with nothing. 
That's really difficult for dyed in the wool capitalists, isn't it? It's actually quite difficult for socialists as well, but for different reasons. But this is how God's economy works. This is about gift. God says to them and to us, come and buy with nothing because it's a gift. This is grace. All that sustains and satisfies comes from God and He offers it to us. It's the offer of life. Verse 3, give ear and come and listen that you may live. Life that's lived outside of the life that God gives to us is not a life that's going anywhere. The promise of life. Secondly, the promise of security and identity and purpose. They've lost not only their homes and their livelihoods and often their families, they've lost their hope. They have a shared cultural identity, but they have no leadership, and therefore they have no hope of reasserting themselves. They are now entirely at the, the mercy of people and circumstances outside of their control. But look at verse 3. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful promise to David. And those of you who know your Bibles, you think, David, who's that? David Beckham? No. <laughs> Which David is it? King David. And God makes a covenant to David that there will be a line of David who will rule over his people. And so what God is saying here is that there will be one in the line of David who will lead them to security and peace, who will restore their identity, who will protect them. And everybody's going to take notice. It will have ramifications outside of the people of God. Verse 4, see, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the people. People will see what happens as this person is raised up to lead God's people and restore them and say, how did that happen? They'd become a no people. They'd lost everything. And yet they'd been restored and restored to splendor. This will have significance for the whole world. Verse 5, Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. It could be that Isaiah is saying here that it's the ruler who will draw people, or it could be that the who refers to the people of God who as they're restored people will look at that and be drawn to the God they worship in either case. The impact is exactly the same. There's an impact for all people, for the whole world, for all nations. That as God does this work of restoring them, people will be drawn to the God of Israel. The nations will come and worship this God. So there's a promise then of security, of identity, and purpose. We live in a very insecure world. I know that by and large all we do is we see it on our televisions and so it seems very distant. But we are part of the same world. And the forces that are at work in our world are at work amongst us. 
please don't think that your money will keep you safe. It won't. Money cannot save us. Education isn't the answer. Great as it is, it is not the answer to the hope, the needs of the world. Don't think that democracy will save us. Or that being Australian will save us. As if Australia is somehow special in the world and God's purposes. The only hope for us is the only hope for any people, any individual, any nation, and that's the hope that's to be found in the God who offers life and protection and a kingdom that will never be destroyed and a king who will rule forever and will rule over all the nations. That is our only hope. And Isaiah calls out to these people, as he calls out God's word to them, as he calls out to us to find life and to find security and purpose. And then do you notice the extent of this? What God is speaking about here embraces the whole of creation. Now, it's Sunday morning, and this is poetry. <laughs> okay. So do the translation. This is not the report on the state of origin. Look at it. Verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. What's being spoken about here is an entirely new world order that affects everything. The whole of creation restored. And do you notice the contrast here? The contrast with what's spoken of in verse 12 and, the and what they are experiencing right at the beginning starts with exile. They have nothing. And it ends with they go out in joy and peace and well-being and wholeness. And this embraces the whole of creation. God's message to us is not just, as I keep saying, that God saves us so that we can go to heaven when we die. It is much bigger than that. It's about the recreation of the entire creation. And it will be permanent. This will be for the Lord's renown an everlasting sign that will endure forever. God is promising nothing less than the entire recreation of everything and the experience of life in its fullness, of security and hope and purpose for now and the future and a new world order where there's peace and justice and where the whole of creation is brought into harmony. That's pretty good, isn't it? In fact, it's too good, isn't it? It seems to be too good to be true. 
How can we trust this? You, you've seen the news this last week. How can you trust this? Where is it? We know that this is true, number one, because God isn't like us. His character is entirely different. Verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is not about the inscrutability of God. It isn't that He knows lots of stuff that you and I don't know, and He's not telling us, and it's really complicated. All that's true, but that's not what this is about us. This is about moral categories. God is not like us in that we are at times dishonest. We are inconsistent. But God is never like that. He is holy. And therefore, He is absolutely to be trusted. We know that this is true because of God's character. We know this is true and we can trust it because God's word is effective. When God speaks something, it happens. Do, do you ever promise more than you can deliver? Do you ever hear people promising more than they can deliver? Just had an election. Watch this space. God never promises more than he can deliver. Never. Verse 10 as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. How can we know this is true? Because of God's character. Because of God's word is the third reason. When you were hearing Isaiah 55 read, and as I've referred back to it, does it ring any bells? Do, 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 does it remind you of anything? Does it remind you of anyone? I, let, me, let me give you a hint. David? A son of David? Does that ring any bells? Does it remind you of someone who at his birth was announced as being son of David? who changed everything, who was a king? Does it remind you? Or what about the one who looked over the hungry crowd who'd listened to him all day and he had compassion on them and so he turned to those nearest to him, his disciples, and said the kind of thing that leaders often say to those who are helping them, feed them, do something about it. And there are thousands of them, and they don't have the money, and they don't have the food to feed them. They just have a few loaves and fish, and yet this one fed them, and there was food left over. Does it ring any bells? Come by and eat. Come and eat of the richest affair. Be satisfied with what you're eating. Does it ring any bells? Or what about this one? The one who stood up and said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Or who stood up at a great feast and said, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Oh, what about this? Does it remind you of someone who stood up and said, 
I have come that they might have life. And what kind of life? Life to the full. Does it ring any bells? How do we know Isaiah 55 can be trusted? God's character, God's word. And because God has effected it in Jesus Christ. That's why. The one who came to offer life to the full, who came as king, as Messiah, as ruler, to offer security and purpose and to bring in the kingdom, who came to restore the whole of creation, who died to make that effective, who has been raised to life. And then a restoration that will usher in a whole recreation a world of justice and wholeness and joy and peace. Come. God says, come. Come and buy with nothing. It's interesting, isn't it? It asks for a response. And what's the response? Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts and let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. To our God, for he will freely pardon. Seek the Lord. And then forsake. Those two things go together they are different sides of the same coin to seek God and forsake. You cannot seek God and hang on to the way that you've been living and what you've been trusting in. And by the way, this is not a game of spiritual hide and seek that Isaiah is talking about. It's not seek the Lord because he's difficult to find. It's seek him rather than don't seek him. Hide from him. Keep going in a different direction. No, Isaiah is saying, change tack. Seek the Lord rather than seeking a life that's based on building a life that will lead nowhere. Working hard for that which does not satisfy. And then turn from and turn to. And it's turn to God, do you notice? Turn to God. It's not come and find lots of information about Him. It's about experience. The gospel, the message about Jesus, which is what this is about, is not about information alone. It's about experience. It's about experiencing God. If all you ever have is information, then you've missed the entire point. It is about experience. Come and seek Him. And God's response, He will show mercy and pardon and give life and security, and draw us into this new creation that's already broken in, in the coming of Christ, and in his death and resurrection. What do you have to do? Come. Call out. Is that all? It's a gift. You come with nothing. You come out of your need and you ask. 
Verse 6 says, Come, seek him while he may be found. Why does it say that? You know, nothing is static. Everything is moving. We are moving. We are changing. Circumstances change. You cannot, cannot know what will happen tomorrow. You can't know what the consequences of your actions will be tomorrow. Everything changes. This is not about God moving away from us while he may be found. It is that if we go on ignoring God for long enough, we may not be able to find him. We may not want to find him. The circumstances may have so crushed our lives, it's too late. Seek him while he may be found. What Isaiah said in Isaiah 55 was to the people of the time, it's to us. It's to those people who've never come and found life in Jesus Christ, the life that God gives us through Him. It's to those who've never bowed the knee to Jesus. But it's also for all of us. Because our tendency is to drift, to drift away. And it's an invitation to all of us to come back. This is the source of life. This is the hope, source of security and hope. To come back and experience what God has for us. You have to come back. You have to come. Let's pray. Father, we've been reminded again of the extraordinary graciousness of your offer to us. You're a God of compassion and mercy. You reach out to, as you did to those people so long ago, people who were rebels against you, suffering the consequences of their decisions, and you reach out in love and mercy to them, and you do the same for us. Father, for those of us who perhaps have drifted away and are finding our security in our jobs, in our money, in our families, in anything other than you, Father, please bring us back. Help us to come and find life to the full in the one who is the source of life who offers that to us in the Lord Jesus. And may he be the one who is our rock and our security in uncertain times and in all times. And may we, Father, look forward with hope at the day that is coming when Christ will return and we will see the entire creation renewed as an everlasting sign. This is permanent. This is forever. And so may we go out with joy and go out with peace and wholeness.
And we ask this in Jesus' name.